Amen, amen, amen. Well, turn around, shake hands with somebody and greet them and tell them you love them. Doesn't matter if you've done it before, do it again. Hallelujah. Well, we're teaching a series on uh, spiritual gifts, and we're using as a beginning point the, um, uh, the list of nine manifestations of the Spirit that are given to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We found in, uh, in talking about these that uh, these uh, nine manifestations of the Spirit naturally fall into three categories. Three of these manifestations of the Spirit reveal something, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and discerning of spirits. Three of these manifestations of the Spirit do something, gifts of healings, working of miracles, and um, there's a third one in there. Uh, Working of miracles, gifts of healings, and the gift of faith, special faith. The three, um, uh, the last category of three are the vocal gifts or the inspirational gifts, diversities of tongues or diverse kinds of tongues. Interpretation of tongues and prophecy. Now of these, Paul says that these are the nine ways that the Holy Ghost will manifest himself in the church. In other words, anything and everything that the Holy Ghost does is going to fall into one of these categories. But then Paul spends uh, the majority of his time in talking about one specific group. And that is the vocal gifts. Tongues, interpretation of tongues and prophecy. And for that reason... He puts a little bit more emphasis on these vocal gifts because they are going to be the most prolific of the nine manifestations of the Spirit. By prolific, I mean the most frequently used or operated. And they are the most subject to misuse because in these manifestations of the Spirit, the vocal gifts, they come under the control of the human will a little bit more than the others do. What I mean by that is you could fake a prophecy, but you can't fake a miracle. So as a result, Paul talks a little bit more about these vocal gifts than uh, than any of the others. He devotes a whole chapter to it in chapter 14, which we'll get to in a little bit. But Paul specifically speaks of tongues more so than any of the rest of the gifts. Now, he doesn't just speak of tongues in a public setting, although he does cover that as well. But he talks about the entirety of the scope of tongues. And he tells us that tongues are for private use and also for public use under certain guidelines and following certain guidelines. Now, whenever we talk about the subject of tongues, and I thought I was through with this last Sunday, but I'm not. I'm not sure I'll be through with it this Sunday. I'm not sure I've got time to talk about all the things that I want to say. But we'll just see how it goes. But when Paul, um, or when the, the Holy Ghost gives us a record of tongues and the use of tongues in the modern day, in the, uh, in the early church, excuse me, he tells us that there are five events. The Holy Ghost gives us five events where an individual or a group of people were filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, I know I've covered this over and over again, but I want to hammer this home because these five events are very, very important to us to understand why God gave us what he gave us. There were thousands and thousands of people in the early church that were filled with the Holy Ghost. Yet God gives us five events. Now in three of those five events, Acts chapter 2 and verse 4 says they all were filled with the Holy Ghost. 
and began to speak with tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Acts chapter 10, about verse 46, said that when they went down to Cornelius' house, the Jews that went with Peter were astonished because that on the Gentiles the Holy Ghost was poured out, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Acts chapter 19 tells us, some 20 years later after, 20 years after, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 19 tells us that when Paul found certain disciples, he ministered to them, told them about Jesus, and then laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now, of those five events that the book of Acts tells us about people being filled with the Holy Ghost, three of them specifically say that they spoke with tongues. The fourth event is in Acts chapter 8. And as I said, thousands and thousands of people are in the early church by the time Acts chapter 8 comes around. It's 10 years later after Acts chapter 2. And it shows us the pattern of how the early church operated. You remember, of course, in Acts chapter 2 that on the day of Pentecost, Peter preached Jesus. And he told them, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, he said, repent and be baptized. They asked, what should we do about this? He said, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the promise of the Spirit. Well, the promise of the Spirit is what they had just received. That's what caused them to speak with other tongues. So it would be foolish for us to assume or to consider that these people got saved on Peter's preaching but didn't get filled with the Holy Ghost on Peter's preaching. Furthermore, in Acts chapter 8, it tells us what the church pattern is. The early church pattern was when people received Jesus. They sent Peter and John down to Samaria after Philip had his revival. The Bible says clearly that they received the word of Christ, the word of God which, Peter, which Philip preached, preaching Jesus and things concerning the kingdom of God. And so when Peter and John would come down, there was a con man that had gotten saved, but he, obviously his life hadn't changed. When Peter and John laid hands on people to receive the Holy Ghost, this con man, former con man, offered money so that he would have the power to, to have the power to lay hands on people to, so that they'd receive the Holy Ghost too. Well, he wouldn't offer money for something he wasn't sure took place, would he? He had to see something. There had to be some kind of evidence for him to offer money for it. But Peter says, Acts chapter 8, uh, what is it, verse 21, something like that. He says, your heart is not right in this matter. He says, you have no part or lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Now, it doesn't specifically say, the King James translation does not specifically say that they spoke with other tongues. But the language does. The original text does. The word translated matter in verse 21 is the Greek word logos, which is most often translated word throughout the New Testament. But it's also translated speech, utterance, and saying. So clearly there was some kind of vocal evidence that took place when they laid hands on them, when Peter and John laid hands on them and they were filled with the Spirit. For us to conclude that it was anything other than speaking with tongues would be unsupported by Scripture. Now the fifth event is in Acts chapter 9 where Saul is on the road to Damascus and meets Jesus. Ananias is directed by the Lord to go and lay hands on him and he says specifically... Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, whom appeared to you in the way as you came, has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. says he laid hands on him. Immediately his scales fell from his eyes and he was filled. Now the Bible doesn't say that he spoke with tongues, 
But Paul tells us that he did. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Well, when did he start speaking with other tongues? To conclude that he spoke with tongues at at a time or in a manner other than the rest of the people in the New Testament would be unsupported by Scripture as well. It would be taking away from what the Bible tells us. Now, there are going to be different experiences associated with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. People have unique experiences. But the important thing is that we all wind up at the same place, and that is with the ability to speak with other tongues and communicate with God supernaturally. Brother Hagin told a story about a lady, a Methodist woman, that uh, had suffered for many years with stomach cancer. Her husband had a good-paying job for back in his day. Wouldn't be a good pay for today. But he made a good salary in his day and spent a fortune trying to get her help, and doctors wound up not being able to do anything for her whatsoever. He stopped by. He was passing through the town where they lived in, he stopped by to, to visit with him a little bit, and it was about noontime. And I guess her husband had worked late the night before, and so they were having a late breakfast. So he walked in. They invited him in, invited him to sit down and have something to eat. And he saw that she was eating bacon and eggs. And he was shocked beyond measure because he knew she didn't eat anything, the slightest bit greasy or, or anything like that. So he commented on it, and she said, oh, yeah, I'm healed. He said, well, what happened? He had prayed for her a number of times and nothing had happened. So she explained that sometime before the full gospel church in town was having a special series of meetings and she got a friend of hers to take her down there to the meeting. And she was in a a great deal of pain, I guess. And so she responded to the altar call to be filled with the Holy Ghost. So her friend took her down, just kind of laid her in front of the altar on her back. She said that she had her eyes closed, but with her eyes closed, she saw a beam of light that started about where the roof was. And that beam of light started coming closer and closer and closer to her. And when that beam of light finally touched her on the forehead, she was speaking in other tongues, and she was perfectly healed. Well, not everybody gets healed when they get filled with the Holy Ghost. So what happened? Well, Jude, verse 20, we've looked at this before. Jude verse 20 says, But you, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Praying in the Holy Ghost, Paul defines as speaking in other tongues. It seems that when you exercise your faith in one area, it builds up and strengthens your faith in other areas. We had the same thing happen here last Sunday morning, they tell me. There was a young man that came in on crutches and carried him out when we began speaking with other tongues at the end of the service. The power of God came on him and he healed his leg. Is he here this morning? Is that guy here this morning? No? Well, did I get the story right, Kyle? Is that what happened? Wave your hand back there just so that everybody knows I'm not lying. Well, it seems that when you exercise your faith in one area, which this woman did to receive the Holy Ghost, it stimulates your faith in other areas. But now... Back to her experience in being filled with the Spirit. When I was filled with the Holy Ghost, I didn't see a beam of light. Did you? I've heard uh, more than one minister tell about their experience in being filled with the Holy Ghost, how that they saw with their eyes closed what appeared to be like a ball of fire coming down from above. And when that ball of fire got over their heads, it exploded, and they began speaking with other tongues. Well, I didn't see a ball of fire when I got filled with the Holy Ghost. Did you? 
Brother Hagin talks about being filled with the Holy Ghost as a young boy, teenager. He says that when he saw that it was something that was for everybody, he went down to the full gospel parsonage, got them to pray for him to receive the Holy Ghost. He said he didn't have any recollection of what they said because he was talking to God the whole time. Wasn't paying attention to what they did. So he just received it by faith without any feelings whatsoever associated with it. He said he began to speak the word hallelujah over and over and over again. He says, I said the word hallelujah a few times. He said, it seems like somebody lit a bonfire on the inside of me. And from that bonfire floated up words that he didn't know what they were. But he said, it seems like if I spoke those words out, I'd understand. Well, by the time he hit about the 10th hallelujah, he was speaking in other tongues. Well, when I got filled with the Spirit, I didn't have a bonfire. Did you? I got filled with the Holy Ghost in my bedroom by myself. Just simply acting on what little bit I knew about the Bible. And boy, it was a little bit. But I began to speak with other tongues without any feelings, without any emotion attached. I know you're shocked. But because I knew so little about it, the devil took advantage of my ignorance. He told me that I didn't get the real thing. He said, that's not the Holy Ghost, that's just you. Well, he was right, but I didn't know what the Bible said about it. And so he took advantage of me, and about a month later, I got in a meeting. It was one of Brother Hagin's meetings. First time I'd ever gone to one of his meetings. Went to the prayer room, got a little bit more instruction on what being filled with the Holy Ghost was about. Began to speak with other tongues then, accepted it as the real thing. I'd had the real thing all the time. I'd just been robbed of using it by ignorance, listening to the devil. And so when I accepted it to be the real thing once and for all, I began to speak with other tongues. And after just a short time, maybe a minute, maybe a minute and a half, it seemed like the, the words just flowed out of me. It seemed like there was a river flowing out of the inside of me. Well, we've all had different experiences associated with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. But the important thing, as I said, is that we wind up at the same place. And that is with access to the power of God through speaking with other tongues. Now, I want you to turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. I want to talk to you about the public side of tongues. Paul gives some specific instructions, not ironclad rules, but guidelines for how these things are supposed to work. Now, he starts off in the first five or six verses of the chapter talking about tongues in a general sense. He says, beginning in verse 1, follow after love and desire spiritual gifts, literally desire things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost, but rather that you may prophesy. The implication is he is talking about spiritual gifts, so I don't think the translators did us any disservice by putting this word in there there. In verse 1. For he that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God. For no man understandeth him. Howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. Um, Weymouth's translation says divine secrets. Now is he talking about tongues in a public setting? No he's talking about tongues in general. He's talking about tongues in your private prayer life primarily. Which Paul emphasizes. Paul emphasizes the value. Some people think that Paul took a dim view of speaking in other tongues. But you don't thank God for things that you take a dim view of, do you? He said, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. 
Paul recognized that the true value in his life, in his experience, was the power of God that was unleashed by speaking in tongues in his private prayer life. Now, in order to understand chapter 14, you need to understand Paul. You need to know what Paul's mission was and the the filter through which he saw everything. Apparently, Paul wasn't used in tongues and interpretation to a great degree. Paul's purpose is to share Jesus and to teach people what Jesus has done for us and who we are in him and who he has designed or destined for us to be. And for that reason, everything about Paul's ministry was geared around teaching. That's where he put the emphasis because that's the ministry that God had given him. So therefore, that's where he's going to put the emphasis where tongues and interpretation are concerned. He's addressing some specific situations that exist in the church in Corinth. But Paul wants to make sure that people learn. He wants to make sure that people are taught The greatest need in the body of Christ is to be taught the truth. Thank God for inspiration that gets us fired up. But if we just get fired up without any knowledge, what are we going to do with being fired up? So Paul recognized this. So he begins teaching them both generally and specifically. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God. Howbeit in the spirit no man understandeth him. Howbeit in the spirit he speaketh mysteries. Now, one of the things that you hear some people talk about, it's not so much, not so prevalent nowadays, but it used to be in the last 20 years or so, is people talking about speaking to the devil in tongues. Well, one of the the great benefits of speaking in tongues is that the devil doesn't know what you're saying. So if you're going to speak to the devil in tongues, aren't you going to have to interpret for him? Now, again, Paul didn't set forth any ironclad rules. I think as a guideline, it would, it would be safe to say that we're not going to be speaking to the devil in tongues or shouldn't be. However, I can see the possibility of the Holy Ghost coming on someone in prayer where the Spirit of God is giving them things to say in other tongues over their situation that the devil might be able to understand. But as a general rule, tongues are not for the devil. They're not for men. They're speaking unto God. There's um, every guideline that Paul lays down, I can give you either scriptural proof or experiential proof that that doesn't hold true in every situation. And some people, bless their hearts, try to be so dogmatic on this is what it is and this is what it's not and this is how it is and this is how it's not. God's always bigger than what you think he is. And so there are going to be exceptions to everything that we think is a rule. Paul goes on to say, but he that prophesies speaks unto men to edification, exhortation, and comfort. Well, since prophecy equals tongues plus interpretation, then tongues plus interpretation would have to be speaking Unto edification, exhortation, and comfort too then, wouldn't it? He's showing us the purpose and the scope. 
He that speaketh in an unknown tongue, verse 4, edifies himself. We've talked about this word edify means to charge up like a battery, to empower, to strengthen. But he that prophesies edifies the church. I would that you all spake with tongues. Now, folks, notice what Paul is saying by the Holy Ghost. I want everybody to speak with tongues. Well, apparently Jesus did too. Because he said that's one of the five signs, five supernatural signs in Mark 16 that would follow everybody that believed in his name. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, those things have been done away with. Really? And neither Jesus nor the Holy Ghost knew that. Neither Jesus nor the Holy Ghost would give us the information so that we could rightly divide the word of truth and understand that it's not for our day, it was only for the early church. Folks, the Bible says the word of God is eternal. So what Jesus said would accompany every believer in Mark 16 should accompany every believer today. What the Holy Ghost said to the Apostle Paul, the desire given to the Apostle Paul by the Holy Ghost is the same thing as saying, here's what God wants. Well, what God wanted apparently, as evidenced by Paul's statement, God wanted everybody in the Corinthian church to speak with tongues. Well, if he wants something less for you and me, then he's a respecter of persons and God's changed which you can't. Paul says, I would that you all speak with tongues, but rather that you prophesy. Now again, Paul's coming from the same point of view. His purpose is so that the church is strengthened and taught. I would that you all speak with tongues, but rather that you prophesy. For greater is he that prophesies than he that speaks with tongues, except or unless he interpret that the church may receive edifying. Now, brethren, if I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you except I shall speak to either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? Now, remember what's going on in the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church is operating in spiritual things to such a degree that they're spending most, if not all, of their time in public worship speaking in other tongues. And Paul is saying he's going to start using some illustrations to point out how's anybody going to know what's being said since tongues are not for men's benefit but they're speaking unto God that's why he makes the case for speaking in tongues in your private devotions in your private life rather than in other than in public worship but notice what he says he says what good would it do if I came to you speaking with tongues the only way I'm going to be able to benefit you is by bringing you revelation or doctrine or knowledge or prophesying, speaking something that you're going to understand what I'm saying. Now, tongues and interpretation can bring all of those things, but not just tongues by itself. And notice Paul does not say, now, if I came to you speaking with tongues and interpretation, what shall I profit you? He says tongues without the, without the interpretation would do no good because even if you're speaking revelation, doctrine, knowledge, or prophecy, you wouldn't know that that's what's being said. And that's the point that he's going to make for the next several verses. And even things without life, verse 7, giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give a distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? For if a trumpet give an uncertain sound, who shall prepare himself for to the battle? So likewise you, except you utter by the tongue words easy or able to be understood 
How shall it be known what is spoken? For you shall speak into the air. Now, what has he already told us about speaking with tongues? He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifies himself. So there's a benefit, and there would be a benefit to speaking in tongues for the whole, the entirety of the public church service. But it's not going to benefit anybody that's not doing the speaking. And that's his point. He's saying people that don't understand, people that need to be taught, aren't going to get anything out of you edifying yourself for the length of the public service. It's pretty simple if you understand his point of view. His point of view is when you come together, people should be taught who they are in Christ and what belongs to them. He goes on to say there are many, uh, there are, it may be, so many kinds of voices in the world and none of them is without signification. Therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian and he that speaketh shall be a barbarian unto me. It's like one person speaking English and one person speaking Chinese. How are they going to communicate with one another? They may both be saying good things, but it's not going to help the person that's being spoken to if they don't understand what's being said. That's Paul's whole point. And that's the foundation upon which he sets forth his guidelines as directed by the Holy Ghost. Even so you, verse 12, Forasmuch as you are zealous of spiritual gifts, the word gifts is in italics again, even so much as even so ye for as much as you are zealous of things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost, seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. In other words, he's saying tweak your zeal. Be zealous for things concerning the Holy Ghost. But God will work with you. Be zealous of things that help other people and not just you. Now, we know love is an issue, a problem for the church at Corinth. Chapter 11 tells about how they're misusing the Lord's Supper, how some people are getting drunk on the wine and taking more than their share so that some people aren't even served in the, in the Lord's Supper, the communion service. Paul tries to address that by saying that we should have the same care one for another. We should care about the other guy as much as we care about ourselves. So he gives us a whole chapter 13 talking about what the love of God does and how it puts other people first. He's telling them to do the same thing as the foundation for the move of the Spirit here in chapter 14. Care about what other people get out of this instead of just what you get out. See, some of these people are going to church services, spending the entirety of the time speaking in tongues, going out and saying, boy, wasn't that great? Because they're edified for the time that they spent speaking in other tongues. People that don't understand, people that are unsaved or unlearned are walking out saying, those people are nuts. Same experience, different results. So what does Paul do? He tries to teach them. It's his fallback position. It's the ministry God's given him. Even so you, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts... Seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. Wherefore, here's how you do that. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. Now, folks, I want you to understand something. He's not just talking about in public settings. He's saying that's something that we should seek God in, even in our private prayer life. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue, how many of you speak in tongues? 
You afraid to lift your hand? <laughs> well, if you speak in tongues, then he's talking to you. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. He's not saying he that speaks in tongues in public service. He's saying everybody that speaks in tongues should pray that they interpret. Now, there's two ways you can look at that. You can look at the word pray to mean ask God to give you the interpretation. And that's, that's right. That would be appropriate. But there's another way to look at that, too. You can look at the word pray as being the exercise of prayer. Meaning, in this case, speaking with other tongues. I know that's what God dealt with me about. Years ago, when I heard Brother Hagin first preach this and started seeking God for the interpretation of things, he drew me to the attention that the way you get the interpretation is you pray. Asking him is fine, but then pray. I'm convinced that a lot of Christians, a lot of spirit-filled Christians don't spend enough time praying in tongues to even get an interpretation. Folks, that ought to be. That's not the way that it should be, is it? So he said, wherefore, let him. Here's how you're zealous of spiritual gifts. Things pertaining to the Holy Ghost. Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. For, here's the reason for that. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. Now, what does he mean by, by your understanding? What does he mean when he uses the word understanding? Well, we understand that's a function of the mind, isn't it? Well, let's put that in there. Where the word understanding is used, let's put the mind in there. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my mind is unfruitful. And folks, let me tell you something. That's the way that the devil tries to use people. To resist tongues more than any other way. Your mind is used to being in control. Your mind does not like relinquishing control. It has to be trained to give up control to speaking in other tongues. And that's the way the devil did it. With me. When I was first filled with the spirit. I just explained a little bit earlier. He took advantage of my lack of knowledge of the scripture. He told me when I began to speak with other tongues... He said, that's not the Holy Ghost, that's just you. Well, he's right. It was just me. The Holy Ghost has no need whatsoever to speak in tongues. I do. God's job is not to do the speaking. His job is to give the utterance. We speak, he gives the utterance. So it is me speaking in tongues by the help of the Holy Ghost. How's he help? By giving me the words to say. But it's still my voice, my lips, my tongue that's utilized at my will to give voice to the utterance that the Holy Ghost gives. The whole, the, um, well, let me go on and I'll make the comment as I go. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my mind is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. Paul is saying you need spirit directed prayers as well as mental directed prayers. I will pray with the spirit and I'll pray with the mind also. I will sing with the spirit and I will sing with the understanding or the mind also. Now why does he talk about singing? 
Well, remember the Bible says in, in a couple of places, he'll say further in chapter 14. But in Acts chapter 10, those that went down to the Cornelius' house with Peter were astonished that the Holy Ghost came upon them, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Howard Carter was a founder of the Pentecostal, first, first and largest Pentecostal school in America, still going today. He wrote back in the 30s, I guess, 1930s, a book on spiritual gifts that has not had to be revised in any way whatsoever. He had revelation about the gifts of the Spirit that was far above his time, beyond his time. And he said, speaking of tongues, that the primary purpose of tongues is to aid you in the worship of God. He said, not only is it the initial evidence of being filled with the Spirit, but it is a free-flowing stream, a continuous stream that should continue throughout your life. Well, Paul seems to have tapped into this. He seems to have understood this. Paul would edify himself by speaking in tongues more than the Corinthian church so that he'd have something to say by revelation of the Lord to help and bless the people when he went to church. That's what he's trying to get them to do too. So that it doesn't bring confusion, but instead brings edification. Well, one of the ways that we magnify God is by singing, isn't it? So Paul says, you get a glimpse into his prayer life, his private life, private devotions. He says, what is it then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I'll pray with the understanding also, and I'll sing with the Spirit, and I'll sing with the understanding also. Paul must have spent some time singing in tongues as well as singing songs that he understood. That might be a good practice for us to follow. What do you think? That's what he's saying. What is it then? I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit and I will sing with the understanding also. Notice verse 16. Else when thou shalt bless with the Spirit. Notice that phrase, bless with the Spirit. How shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest? Apparently, blessed with the Spirit and giving thanks are interchangeable terms. He refers to them in both ways. So he's talking about tongues, whether spoken or sung, being a means of giving thanks to God. You remember over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the Bible says, Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. If that pattern is given by the Holy Ghost, there should be twice as much thanksgiving and rejoicing than there is praying. I wonder how many Christians live up to that in their practice concerning their prayer lives. I don't believe the Holy Ghost says these things by accident. I believe he's saying things specifically and for a reason. Paul seems to be following the same pattern. I'll pray with the Spirit. I'll pray with the understanding also. I'll sing with the Spirit. I'll sing with the understanding also. In my private life, not in public. Because how are other people going to know, even though I'm giving thanks to God, how are other people going to know what I'm saying? Notice he says in verse 17, For thou verily givest thanks well. Apparently speaking and singing in tongues is a, a, a good and profitable means 
or a way to give thanks to God. For verily, give, thou verily givest thanks well, but the other is not edified. I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church. Yet in the church. What's his purpose? His purpose is the church is built up and edified. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that by my voice I might teach others also than 10,000 words in another tongue. Why? Because I can't teach in tongues. My purpose is to teach the people who they are in Christ. Brethren, be not children in understanding. Howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. What he's saying is, quit being like little kids when it comes to the Holy Ghost. What are kids like? All they want to do is play. They want whatever feels good, whatever they enjoy at the moment. He's saying quit being like that with the things of God. In the law it is written. Now this starts one of the most poorly translated passages in all of scripture. Because there is no doubt that the translation contradicts itself. Now the original text does not. But the translation is not necessarily anointed. The original text is. And in most cases, the translators have done a wonderful job. King James translators have done a wonderful job giving us the meaning of the text. But there are a few occasions, this being one of them, where they show their lack of understanding of the things of God. Notice he says, beginning in verse 21, in the law, meaning the law of Moses, it is written with men of other tongues and other lips, Will I speak unto this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, saith the Lord. Notice they added men of, because that's not in the Old Testament scripture that he's quoting. This is Isaiah 28, verses 11 and 12. And the law is written, with other tongues and stammering lips will I speak unto this people, yet they would not hear, saith the Lord. That's what Paul quotes. He quotes Isaiah 28, 11 and 12 as the foundation for what he's going to say next. Wherefore, in other words, because of what is written in the law in Isaiah 28, wherefore tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, but to them that believe not. Well, believe not would be unbelievers, right? So he's saying tongues are a sign for unbelievers. But prophesying serves not for them that believe not, but for them that believe. This is, com- this is translated completely opposite of what Paul just said. Because who is Isaiah 28 written to? The Gentiles, who would be the unbelievers in that case, or the children of Israel who would be believers? It's written to Israel. So he's saying just like the law of Moses, or Isaiah's prophecy in this case, was written to those who were the children of God, tongues are for a sign. Who are they to assign for? To the unbelievers? Well, verse 22 seems to say that they're assigned to the unbelievers. Well, if it's assigned to the unbelievers, then why are the unbelievers saying the church at Corinth is crazy? Why wouldn't Paul say, now you guys are doing it just right? Because when unbelievers are coming in and you guys are speaking tongues the whole time during your church service, 
We know that's the way God wants it to be. So don't worry about some people. They're going to be sticking the muds in every group. Don't worry about some people that say you're crazy. You're doing it just exactly right. But that's what he's writing to correct, isn't it? Well, then tongues can't be a sign to the unbeliever. Now, apparently, from the study that I've been able to do, Apparently, the thing that throws the translators off in this is the the use of the words not. The Greek language, which the New Testament was written in, is different, a great deal different, from the English language in the placement of adjectives, and in this case, the word not. If you rearrange the word not, then it says something completely different. And Paul uses the word not over and over again where he had been better off perhaps to use the word or the term unbeliever rather than believe not. So what is the the original text saying? Well, Paul has given us a guideline. He says, just like Isaiah 28 was written to Israel, believers in in that context, tongues are for a sign to the believer, not to the unbeliever. But prophecy is a sign to the unbeliever. If therefore the whole church become together into one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say that you're mad? See, verse 23 contradicts completely verse 22 in the way that it's translated. Now, the original text is not so, but the translation is so. Let's think back to the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 tells us that when the day of Pentecost was fully come, 120 people in the upper room were filled with the Spirit and spoke with other tongues. They spilled out into the streets, and everybody that's in town for the day of Pentecost, the feast of the Pentecost, hears them speak with tongues and magnify God in their own languages. Some people start saying, these people are crazy. Some people are saying, these people are drunk. Folks, you need to understand something. Drunk people don't speak in tongues. So there must be some other evidence, something other than just speaking in tongues is taking place with these people. It's possible that they were overwhelmed with the Spirit of God. They were staggering around like drunk people. I don't know. But something made some of the crowd suppose that they were drunk. Peter stands up and says, these people are not drunk as you suppose because it's too early in the day. I'm not sure that's a ringing endorsement for the the character of the people. But he tells about how this is the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Now, who is he speaking to? He's speaking to believers, not in the sense that they're believers in Jesus. They're not. But at the very least, because they're in Jerusalem keeping the feast of the Pentecost, at the very least would have to say they're interested parties when it comes to the things of God. They knew, because they were Jews, they knew that these things were spoken of in the Old Testament. They knew that Joel had talked about the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And that's what Peter preaches. So this was a sign to them as believers in the law. Do you understand that? Does that make sense? The translators missed this completely. Tongues are not for a sign to unbelievers. 
tongues are for a sign to believers. Now, let me give you an example that blows the guideline. There was a, a situation where a minister who was used greatly in uh, tongues interpretation, somebody spoke out in tongues in his church service. He said he sought the Lord for the interpretation. He put up his spiritual antenna, so to speak, for the interpretation. And he didn't get it. And so they went on with their service, but it bothered him. Really bugged him. Lord, what was that? I know that in a public setting there should be interpretation. So the church is edified. What's going on? Well, two guys came up to him after the service. They were together. They were in the service, the armed service in some form, some branch. One of them was Jewish. The other was Pentecostal. And the Pentecostal guy made friends with the Jewish guy and made a deal with him. He said, I'll go with you to synagogue if you'll come with me to church. So the Jewish guy had come to church on that Sunday morning. So these two guys introduced themselves to the pastor. And the Jewish guy said, who was that lady that was talking to me in Hebrew? My pastor said, what are you talking about? That lady that stood up in the middle of the service and talked to me in Hebrew. Called me my name and told me Jesus was the Christ. Well, the pastor sent for the lady. Simple lady. Meaning uneducated. Talked to the guy for just a few moments. He tried to talk to her in Hebrew and she just gave him a blank stare. Well, it was a sign to him. Now, he was an unbeliever as far as Jesus was concerned, but he was a believer as far as the law of Moses and the Old Testament was concerned. Now, you would think in normal circumstances, in normal situations, that if there's a a tongue spoken out in church, according to what Paul is saying and using the guidelines here, there should be interpretation so that everybody's edified. Well, when everybody heard the end result of the story the next week, everybody was edified. So you can see he's setting forth guidelines, not hard and fast rules. So tongues are for a sign to believers, not to unbelievers. Prophecy is a sign to the unbeliever. He goes and explains that in verse 24. But if all prophesy, and there come in one that believeth not or is unlearned, he is convinced of all and he is judged of all, and thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest, and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. Now how is he able to do that? Talking about the unbeliever. Because he understood what was being said. Do you see what Paul's trying to say? Translators botched it up. But what Paul was saying was clear. How is it then brethren? He's still trying to correct their misuse of these things. How is it then brethren when you come together. Every one of you has a psalm. Has a doctrine. Has a tongue. Has a revelation. Has an interpretation. Let all things be done unto edifying. Folks, the kindest way I can say this is they're using their public church services as a show. Everybody's wanting to have their little thing to say or little thing to do rather than being directed by the Holy Ghost. Because when God's in charge, things are going to be done decently and in order and everybody's going to get blessed. Apparently, that's not the end result of their services. But you can't say they don't have the move of the Spirit. Interestingly enough, 
the Holy Ghost does not instruct Paul to commend them for being so fluent in the gifts of the Spirit, but rather bring guidelines and direction so that their services can achieve the results that God wants them to have, which again, from Paul's standpoint, is primarily to teach and to train the people. The Holy Ghost must work in concert with that. Is that a fair statement? So here are the guidelines he gives for public worship. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most by three, and that by course means in by turn, in turn, and let one interpret. Now the words two and three are personal pronouns. He's not talking about messages in tongues. There's no such thing in the scripture. He's talking about people involved. Now remember what's going on. Everybody's involved in their services. The Holy Ghost tries to bring that down and give some direction to that. He says, let it be two or three people. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at the most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. Now the one interpret he's talking about means one interpreter. He's forbidding competitive interpretation. So he's saying there could be three people involved in speaking in tongues and one person interpreting. It's possible that three people, up to three people, could speak in tongues multiple times as long as one person's interpreting. But if there be no interpreter, again, he's talking about a person. Apparently, God is informing us that people will be used along these lines in public ministry. But if there be no interpreter, let him keep silence in the church and let him speak to himself and unto God. Let the prophet speak two or three and let the other judge. Now, what does he mean, the other judge? He's still talking about the interpreter. See, the interpreter is not the person that's interpreting the tongues alone. The interpreter is the person that's in charge of the service that that is given by God to know the direction that the Holy Ghost wants the service to go. Notice the prophets are subject to the interpreter of the service. Are you out there? Let the prophets speak two or three and let the other judge. If anything be revealed to another that sitteth by, let the first hold his peace. For you may all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be comforted. In other words, he's saying just because you can prophesy doesn't mean God wants you to. The question is what's going to edify the congregation? What's going to bring the greatest blessing to the people? Notice verse 32. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Working with Brother Hagin, we would regularly, frequently, run into somebody in these big convention centers that would start screaming out in other tongues. Well, part of my job as working with Brother Hagin was the bouncer. (laughs) I say that trying to make a joke but it's just a half joke and so often I mean a little bit you let it go 
it continues on and on and people around them can't hear what's going on so it doesn't help anybody so numerous times we'd get somebody and take them by the arm bring them out into the concourse where they were out of the main auditorium and they're always saying the same things when you finally quieted them down sometimes you had to shout up shout to them shut up in the name of Jesus But when you got them quieted down, they all said the same thing. And that is, that is, they'd say something like, I couldn't help it. The Holy Ghost just had me speak. And I'd always ask them the same thing. And that is, do you believe that Brother Hagin was speaking by the Holy Ghost? He said, oh, yes. Well, then why would God interrupt himself? Notice what Paul says. God's not the author of confusion. He's saying if, even if you've got something by the Holy Ghost, you can hold it. It would be better to be a little late in following the leading of the Lord to bring order to a service than to bring confusion of being too quick. I've had the Holy Ghost give me things that have lasted for weeks. I've had the spirit of prophecy come on me during my prayer, private prayer and praying time. And I knew it was something for the church. But then the next time I came to church, there was no utterance to say it. Now, I could have said it. I remembered enough of it where I could have got the gist of it. But there was no power behind it if I had. A couple of times, I just forgot all about it. Then a couple of weeks down the road, here comes the anointing to say it. And the spirit of God came on me again and it flowed out like it was brand new. Only I knew that I'd heard it before. You don't have to get in a hold in a truck. You don't have to get in a hurry to follow the Holy Ghost. As a matter of fact, most of the mistakes I've made in attempting to follow the Holy Ghost was being in too big a rush. How about you? Same thing must be true in public service. So Paul says the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Now I'm going to skip over the next two, two verses where it talks about women in the church. I just don't want to deal with that today. <laughs> Apparently it is relative to things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost, but not to spiritual gifts. Notice in verse 36, Paul knows he's going to run into resistance on these things. He knows there's going to be resistance in the Corinthian church. So he says, what? Came the word of God out from you? Or came it under you only? In other words, he's saying, now all you spiritual people, all you self-styled prophets that think you know the Holy Ghost better than anybody else, he's saying, are you the one that the word of God came through? But who did the word of God come through? The guy that's telling them how to do it. Paul said that the whole world would be judged by his gospel. He's establishing his own credibility. He's saying, I ought to know about this stuff. This is part of the revelation that the Holy Ghost has given me, that you got saved by, that you got filled by the, with the Holy Ghost with, that puts you in the position where you are now. So he says, what? Came the word of God out from you or came it unto you only? If any man think himself to be a prophet... See, some people just think they're prophets. If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge 
that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. Paul is just saying none of this has been my idea. This has all been stuff that God has given me to say. But, verse 38, you need to commit verse 38 to memory. But if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. God's not in the business of trying to fix everybody's thinking. He puts the truth out there and lets you make a choice. Wherefore, brethren, covet to prophesy and forbid not to speak with tongues. Let all things be done decently and in order. Now, I have known personally about, I don't know, a half dozen couples that God has used in uh, tongues and interpretation in the public ministry. Of those people that I've known, it has been amazing to watch the way that God uses them. And in every case that I've been acquainted with, I don't know if it's this way in every case there is, but in every one of these situations where I've been acquainted with people, one would speak in tongues and the other would interpret. Brother Hagin talked about brother and sister Goodwin that spoke in tongues and interpreted. He said that God changed the way that they worked. That originally, Sister Goodwin would speak in tongues and Brother Goodwin would interpret. But God had to change that around because there were things that the Holy Ghost would reveal to Brother Goodwin in the interpretation that he wouldn't speak out because he was always trying to walk in love and think the best of people. So he changed them around. One day, all of a sudden, it just changed. Now, he's the one that speaks in tongues, and she's the one that interpreted. And she wouldn't hold back, buddy. I mean, she'd just say whatever was there. And there were some astounding things that were said. They were ministering in a church one time, not their own church, but they were guests in another church one time. And they began to speak and minister in tongues and interpretation. And she spoke out that the Sunday school superintendent was operating a pornography ring. This would have been back in 1950-something. Well, people heard that, and they thought, oh, dear Lord, these people are just nutcases. How could that possibly be right? Well, they didn't do any investigation on it. Left it alone. Two years later, came out that they were exactly right, tore the church up. To my knowledge, even this day, there is nothing there. God was trying to protect the church and the people wouldn't receive it. It's fascinating when somebody has a gift, a public ministry of tongues and interpretation of tongues. Paul didn't seem to have this. Now, I don't have it either. I'm open to whatever God wants to do. But I don't have a public ministry of tongues and interpretation But as the pastor of the church, I'm the interpreter of the service. So what that means in my individual case is when somebody speaks out in other tongues, I'll know whether it's a manifestation of the spirit or they just get excited and they're worshiping God. I'll have the gist if it's just them getting excited and worshiping God in other tongues. I'll have the gist of what's being said. But I won't have it word for word. 
The interpreter of the service doesn't always do the interpreting of tongues either. He's the one that knows which direction the Holy Ghost is going. There are times, I know Brother Hagin operated this way. There are times when someone would speak out in tongues and Brother Hagin would look to somebody else and say, you, brother, sister, whoever, whoever he'd point to, he'd say, you've got the interpretation, go ahead and give it out. And they would. So Brother Hagin was the interpreter of the service, but not the one interpreting the tongues. I think the point to remember in this is that God wants to speak to us. As a matter of fact, let's close with this. Turn with me over to Isaiah 28. I know it's late and I'm sorry for going so long. But we sure wouldn't have wanted to miss the testimonies of the Columbia group, would we? That's where all my time went. (laughs) And it was time well spent. Notice Deuteronomy, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 28, verse 11. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to this people. Now, this has got to be talking about the public ministry or the manifestation of tongues and interpretation. It's got to be. Because remember what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 14, He that speaketh in an unknown tongue speaketh not unto men but unto God. So when we speak in tongues, we're talking to God. This verse says God will talk to us. With stammering lips and another tongue, will he speak unto this people? Now, how is God going to speak unto his people in other tongues? Through a manifestation of the Spirit, where there is an interpretation of what's being said. In other words, it'd be the same thing as saying, for through prophecy, God will speak to his people. Well, what's the difference in prophecy and other tongues and interpretation? Only the tongue that's being spoken. If somebody prophesies by the Spirit of God, he's speaking in a language that he knows and that the crowd knows so that we're edified by what's being said. If it's a manifestation of diverse kinds of tongues, then there has to be an interpretation to equal the same result that would come about through prophecy. So notice what the Holy Ghost is telling us even in the Old Testament. God will speak to his people through tongues and interpretation. Notice it says, yet they will not hear. Not everybody's going to accept it. Certainly not everybody in the modern day church accepts it. God knew that there was going to be resistance and opposition to the manifestation of the Holy Ghost in diverse kinds of tongues. Talking about the public use of tongues even before we found out. But the only restriction that the Holy Ghost places on it is to be zealous so that everybody is blessed. Be primarily concerned with everybody else getting blessed and not just me getting blessed. Do you see how the modern day church has messed that up? Because most of what everybody's concern is, you talk about grieving the Holy Ghost, most everybody's concerned about grieving the Holy Ghost by not speaking out when God impresses them to. I wonder if the Holy Ghost is grieved when we speak out thinking only about ourselves and not about the other guy. I believe he is. Thank God for the Holy Ghost. 
Thank God for the manifestation of the Spirit. All these worketh that one in the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he wills. Amen. Well, let's all stand together. I've kept you sitting down in one position too long. I can see it on your face. <laughs> let's lift our hands and thank God for the Holy Ghost. Lord, we worship you. We thank you for manifesting yourself among us. We thank you for an increase in the manifestation of the Spirit. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Now we've talked about the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We've talked about speaking in other tongues. If there's anybody here that doesn't know about these things, you at least have enough instruction to know that we're worshiping God in a language, a heavenly language. So let's just do that. Let's just lift our hands and lift our hearts. Let's just worship God in the spirit for a bit. Now, as we began to speak in other tongues, the Holy Ghost brought something back to me that he gave me a couple of weeks ago. And that is there are families in our church that are believing for children. He wants me to lay hands on you. So if you're, if you're here and you're believing for children, that's the way he said it to me, believing for children. I would assume that that would mean in the majority of cases that you're believing to get pregnant. But there are other ways of having children too. So I'm going to just say it the way the Lord said it. If you're believing God to have children, I want you to make your way out from where you are up here to the front so we can minister to you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bless you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now stretch your hands out this way toward these people. And begin to pray in the Spirit. We want to pray in the Holy Ghost for a few moments before we lay hands on them. Etro <laughs> 
Now, Father, you said in your word that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, so that the blessing of Abraham could come upon us. A part of Abraham's blessing was children. You had a specific plan for him, for his seed to be as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. But children were the blessing that you had promised unto them. We claim that promise for these couples in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father, that when we lay hands on them, if there's a medical issue, if there's a physical problem, that problem will be corrected. We furthermore thank you, Father, that the children that they have will go full term. We thank you, Father, that the result of our prayer, because of your goodness and your mercy, shall result in baby boys and girls. Lord, I have a sense that there's going to be some twins. So, Father, as a church family, we join together our faith with theirs. We lay hands on them in the name of Jesus. Receive your children in the name of Jesus. Receive your children in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Receive your children in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Receive your children in the name of Jesus. Receive your children. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Father, we worship you. We magnify you. We thank you. For the prompting of the Holy Ghost. The supernatural results that shall come about. Hallelujah. 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 Now, I could stand here all day and tell you stories. The people that we laid hands on that were not able to have children that did have. And none of those, in none of those situations were we prompted by the Holy Ghost to do it. So as far as I'm concerned, there's something extra on this one. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Let's thank him one more time for these families with children. Lord, we worship you. We magnify your name. Satan, take your hand off of each one of these. In the name of Jesus. They're blessed of God. It's done. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus.
In the name of Jesus. Well, be fruitful and multiply. <laughs> Amen. Let's lift our hands and thank God for his goodness one more time. Thank you, Father. You are so good to us. You care about every little part of our lives. You care about what we care about. We thank you for being good and merciful. In Jesus' name. Say it with me. The Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. God bless you. Have a great day.